Hello everybody, Jordan here, the PH is silent, and in this episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show, we talk a lot about being a paid dungeon master, as well as downtime activities for your players. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Saturday Morning D&D Show. My name is Jordan, with a silent PH in the middle, and I am joined always by my wonderful co-host, Sir Lucian, over at Sir Lucian Gaming. Say hello, sir. Oh, fancy shirt today. <laughs> yeah, hello, everybody. Fancy shirt, what? Repping MCDM today. Oh, man, that's cool. Yeah, I didn't splurge <laughs> for that. I just got the book, but... Yeah, I actually bought a second shirt, because I didn't think I bought the first one. And when it came in the box, I'm like, oh, well, okay, I'll have two of them then, but this will be great. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, did you actually, speaking of uh, Strongholds and Followers, have you read mm -hmm. the adventure that was included in that book? I have not by James Heck, right? James I think Hake? so. And yeah, are you, well, and so you haven't read it, but I was, my next I question was like, are you ever planning on running it, do you think? Yeah, I think I'm planning on using almost everything from Strongholds and Followers, mm -hmm. all of it. Like, I want to use the battle system. I want to use the followers. I want to use all of the Stronghold stuff. I want to run the adventure somehow. It may not be in the um, Revenor world, because mm -hmm. I don't know if it'll necessarily fit there, but I may run it as a starting to another campaign or if I put it into another homebrew area or something like that. Yeah, but I yeah. definitely want every bit of this book is gold in my eyes i love every bit of it so no i really like that it came with an adventure and it kind of reminds me a little bit of the acquisitions incorporated book because that's similar where like this mm -hmm. one is like you're building a stronghold and you're doing this and that one you're building a business and that one also came with an adventure that uh where my excuse me i'm gonna cough <clears throat> my uh sunday group is currently we're we're like three or four sessions till we're done and mm -hmm. then he wants to run the Acquisitions Incorporated game. So this past couple of weeks, we've been all like plotting out what characters we're going to make and all this other stuff. And, and it's like, guys, we haven't even finished the campaign we're currently in. Like we can't, yeah. <laughs> we, we need to finish mm -hmm. that one before we start. But you know, you get really excited, like building new characters yes. and going on a new adventure and all this other stuff that I'm just like, no, yeah. I'm, I'm like, I'm ready now. Although I am curious about how we're going to finish our, our other game. This one, I'm, I'm super stoked for this new character. I'm going to build yeah. like a, uh, I took a human with the variant feet to Ooh. do uh, elemental adept fire. Nice. Um, and then I took a sorcerer with the gold dragon background. So you're like a fire sorcerer. So all mm -hmm. of my fire spells will not be resisted by fire resistance. Um, and just like, and anyway, and I made him, and I took the background from the uh, Acquisitions Incorporated book of you have like a famous father or mother or grandfather or something, and you're trying to live in their shadow basically, or, or live up to mm -hmm. their legacy. And so I think, yeah, anyway, I, I'm really excited. And I really want it's to funny because we're almost never more excited than we are just before a campaign starts. Oh, and we're yeah. Thinking about character building. We're thinking about the party we might be in. We're thinking about the adventures we might go on. That excitement builds to a fury when people start to think about what character could I play and what am I going to do? Like, what, what do you think your position in the Ack Inc. franchise is going to be? What are you hoping to get? Or have you guys already said i'm going to be the documenter yeah. you can be the cartographer or you can be whatever no, is that that doesn't come into play until level two so our dm was okay. kind of like don't 
don't overthink that. Like it'll kind of happen as we, or we'll figure it out as we get to level two or three. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. But just based on reading it and the fact that I have such a high charisma as a sorcerer and I'm trying to like start this franchise because of my father and I'm living in his shadow and things like that. I want to, uh, I want to be the, I forget the name of it, but it's the one that gets two votes. Like basically the guy that kind of is running the franchise and I want to be, I want to be the boss. So, (laughs) but we'll see. Uh, I know that we have a bard and so maybe the bard will want to be the boss. And I'm like, I can, I can play any role really. Like it's fine, but that's the one that I was kind of like, Oh, that would be fun. So, yeah. Yeah. I just think it's really funny. And I think, um, like, so did you read the paragraph? We're on a huge tangent here, but yeah. why not? No, why not? The paragraph where it said about a sorcerer in an act game. Yeah. Are you going to play it to the hilt from the way they kind of describe it? I want it? to. I want to just yeah, yeah, yeah. deep dive into this book. And since we're playing the adventure in this book and we're using all the things from that book, I want to kind of try and do that as well. So, yeah, yeah. I'm playing around with it. It's I, That's why I took well, a background from the book because I wanted to do that and stuff like this. But no, yeah. I, that's a, I never really thought about it before, but you're right. You are the most excited like right before a campaign begins I feel which is probably another reason that I build so many different characters because I, yeah. I'll build like a, a turtle spore <laughs> druid and I'm just like mm-hmm. oh I can't wait for the adventures this guy could go on and it would be so cool to do this and, and all these cool themed spells and things like that um, mm-hmm. and then I never really get to play that but this one you know we're we're super stoked for it so yeah I, I just that if I play in one I want to play the barbarian that has a three-piece suit but the arms are ripped off yes <laughs> and so he just has like the best part the tie and he's just basically you know just like in the book they show kind of a barbarian and he's just kind of like the muscle of the group and nothing else but I just love the whole the whole idea of it. It's just a funny way to play a character, and yeah. I like that it's a fun way to play. It's not as, as as serious as a game. You can you can get into the jokes, you can get into the memes, you can get into the the pop culture references. So yeah, yeah, Super it's cool. it's going to be a lighthearted campaign, which I think nice. everyone's really excited for. So that and you get to fun. play. You just said you're not DMing. So no, yeah, that's crazy good. So uh, it's and I mean. Uh, it's it's the same group of people. We're just shifting games, just like we shifted from Hot Springs Island to Ghost of Salt Marsh and things like that. So yeah, it happens. Very cool. Very, Very cool. cool. I didn't think Ghost of Salt Marsh would be so short. Uh, no, no, no. So I ran Hot Springs Island, and now we yeah. transition to Ghost of Salt Marsh. The game I am playing in is a homebrew game that we are then transitioning to this one. So I basically I was saying like, I'm keeping the same dungeon master and the same group of players. It's not like mm-hmm. a new group is what I was trying to emphasize. <laughs> right. But you're not going to play both at the same time. Yes. Yeah. So I'm running ghost of salt marsh and then I'm playing in acquisitions incorporated ghost of salt marsh will be uh well, currently it's Wednesdays, but I think we have to move it to Fridays cause I'm in a play. So I'll be doing that. And yeah, then, I was just going to um, say, you're a busy dude. How are you playing yeah. this many games? <laughs> and then uh, Sunday afternoons, we'll be playing that. And then my Shadowfell game is starting up whenever people's schedules align. Um, and so that one will be crazy, too, and I'll have to figure out that, which I haven't put a lot of work into that. I need to, I need to like, sit down with my I, – I did put a lot of work into it and then shelved it because it's like, oh, we're going to play this Betrayal Legacy game for the next however long. And mm-hmm. that's pretty much been all spring. And now that it's over – um, I need to crack open that Shadowfell book again and look at my notes and and actually yeah, building counters and stuff. Is a great playground to play oh, in. It's yeah. like uh, and the book that I found, the fourth edition Shadowfell book, Gloomrot mm-hmm. and Beyond, is a 
uh, super sandbox for the Shadowfell. And so it mm-hmm. is just like, no, you're here. Where do you want to go? And like, all I need to do basically is build uh, somewhat difficult encounters for them on their travels and, and other things. And that brings me to another point is the uh, there was a Kickstarter and uh, a friend of mine backed it and he let me look at the PDFs and they it's called the Wild and Weird or Weird and Wild. I can't remember exactly. Mm. Um, I should just Google it, but, uh, it's all about, it's all about navigating like a really creepy forest using Dungeons and Dragons or role-playing games in general. And like you navigate these and it's got all these rules for like, like if you kill an animal, you can harvest things from it and you can kind of do a bunch of other stuff. Uh, hot Springs Island was similar to this, but I was reading through that briefly and I'm like, this is kind of exactly what I need for when my players start in the shadow fell, I can have them be like you're in the middle of like a creepy Shadowfell forest and have them try to figure out a way back to civilization. And then once they're in civilization, they have this sandbox to explore. Um, so I think I was going to use that for like three or four sessions to see if they, or maybe less kind of depends if they get bored exploring a forest. But uh, I like the idea of like, you don't know where you are, nor do you know how to get out and you have to use these like survival spooky rules. Yeah. 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 That's good because you're going to get closer and closer to October. So that's kind of leading into that Halloween kind of theme. You'll be right in that perfect timing, November, October, September, all those, all those good fall months. That's cool. So are we ready for some news? We didn't have a yeah. ton of news, but so I mean, we're uh, a D and D talk show and we talk about all things D and D and uh, yeah. we usually start off with uh, tangents apparently. Cause that's what we just did. But uh, yeah. Them. What's happening in the world of Dungeons and Dragons? A uh, couple of, couple things popped on our radar. Yeah, well, I'll let you go with, you get a, you had Oh your yeah. First so uh, I don't have it with me. That was bad timing. I should have brought this book, but I bought this book called how to write adventure modules that don't suck. Um, hmm. And uh, it's I'm, I'm about like a third into it so far, and it's a collection of articles from people that wrote best-selling modules back in the day for I think 3.5, um, and maybe earlier. And so it's their like words of wisdom, like this is what worked for us, this is what it is. And some of them used like video game theory, and some of them used like writer's theory and fiction, and and how to like interweave all this stuff because you are writing fiction, but you're also kind of writing like a game and so video game theory kind of comes into play um and that's kind of it's not not news in the sense that it's what's going on in the world of dungeons and dragons because it's kind of an older book but Mm uh i really like it and i think if you guys are interested in um writing modules and like kind of understanding the theory behind it that you might also enjoy that book. So I put a link in the chat. Um, if you are interested in that, uh, I'm not like shilling it. They're not paying me anything for it, but I just (laughs) think it's like a really cool, a really cool book so far. And like the, just the psychology of what makes a really good adventure. Um, and it's, it's become, it's pretty helpful. So yeah, that's cool. That's kind of what, that's what I've been doing the past week without playing copious amounts of D and D I've been filling it with like, Oh yeah, I want to like become a better writer and how to do all this other stuff. So that's great. Yeah. And I know we do have several uh, members in our audience who are kind of designer, like they build games or they build scenarios or they're running streams. So that's all good stuff for them too. Yeah. I think it's Um, something that will help me write um, better encounters and better story 
like there was a whole like chapter on villains and stuff and how to like make really good memorable villains and things like that which is something that i struggle with because i'll pick a monster and i'll be like well that's a good villain but i don't really give him back you know like there's lots more to building a villain than just picking a monster from the monster manual that is going to be difficult enough for them to have as an end boss yeah um, and that is something that I am learning, you know, and everybody learn like you learn by writing, you learn by playing, you learn by seeing what succeeds and what fails. Um, and then by reading this book, apparently, but yeah, <laughs> and <laughs> no, reading lots helps. of other modules. I would also encourage you to just read lots of modules. Like I buy a lot of the wizards of the coast modules, um, and a lot of other modules, like even older ones and read through them because you, you just learn like, Oh, like, why did they choose here? And things like that. And I think I'll get more since reading the, the game design theory in this book that I've read so far, going back and rereading some of those and understanding like, oh, this is this puzzle is for this type of player. This exploration thing is for this type of player. This combat is for the combat-centric player. And you kind of want to incorporate, like know your players at the table if you're writing for them specifically, but know the general audience. Like there's always going to be somebody that enjoys exploration. There's always going to be somebody that wants to just have combat fight after combat fight because that's what they like in the game you know and yeah it was it was enlightening i think it's a really cool book so cool well we didn't have a ton more of other news but i did notice i went back and it's probably been out for a little bit but the july issue of dragon plus magazine which you can get online which that was the big thing back in the day is you get to go to the game stores or your comic book stores you get the dragon magazine itself like mm-hmm. the, and it was a really cool magazine that always had a treasure trove of stuff you could add to your game. I and, still use it because they have PDFs yeah. of Dragon Magazine that you can buy. And I go back through the old issues when I'm looking for articles for random videos yeah. that I'm making. Like, it's, it's, they're awesome. So, yeah, I wish we kind of still had it. I wish they'd kind of, and Dragon Plus is kind of the new version of yeah. that, though it doesn't feel to me like Dragon Plus has as much meat as the old Dragon Magazines did, but mm-hmm. maybe they're building on that and they're going, but this one was pretty good. It's the July issue. The couple of things that I noticed in it that were really good because they're really doing a big kind of focus on um, Descent to Ab- uh, Avernus. Um, they talked about the D&D live event, which we we kind of covered quite a bit. But they did have in that the rules for Infernal Machines that they used at the D&D live event. So if you're wondering how they built those Infernal Machines or what the rules were behind them for that big event, um, it, they're in Dragon Plus magazine and they have the vehicle chase rules which could be very cool because i could see you using vehicle chase rules in um a secrets of salt marsh if you have a boat chasing a boat i could mm-hmm. see you could have it in acquisitions incorporated everybody needs to have a um a, a cart wagon chasing a yeah. cart yeah. <laughs> that's just the classic dungeons and wagons <laughs> so you might need some of that um so i thought that was good i also saw they had a couple of reprints of articles um that had to do with like um previous dragon magazines and they list like which ones like in dragon magazine number 17 there was this article by you know ed greenwood or there's this article and the two that stood out to me were the return to the nine hells as we're getting into this really about to go to this hell plane and they also did a reprint of the nine hells revisited a couple of articles that they put in there so it was really cool to go back and look at some of that really good information because What's awesome, and we've said it many times, hundreds of times on this show, just because it's not fifth edition doesn't mean you can't use all of that other edition stuff in your games. You can use third edition lore, second edition lore, fourth edition lore. You can use all that. It's the mechanics of 5e that you're using, but you can use the storytelling stuff Mm -hmm. 
and the exploration and the ideas from any era of Dungeons and Dragons or any game. You can get it from Pathfinder. You can get it from Starfinder. And you could say, I love that adventure in Starfinder. I'm going to do that in Dungeons and Dragons, just tweak it a little bit. Yep. And so um, I think those are really cool. The other thing that popped out to me for that Dragon Plus, um, they had a bunch of maps and artwork for Ghosts of Saltmarsh. So if you're running a Ghosts of Saltmarsh um, stream or you're about to start the campaign with your friends and you need some artwork, some reference stuff to show or put up on screens, I thought they had a lot of cool stuff you could screen capture and grab from there to, to help set the mood and take a look at some of the cool maps. They have the full map of the town at least, which is mm-hmm. everybody could use, especially if you're playing online with like a Roll20 or uh, any of the other virtual tabletops. So I thought that was kind of cool. Or even if you're like me and you print it out so that you can be like, you guys are here. You can visit all these different places. And like, I like having yeah. physical maps at the table. So, <laughs> And it sounds like in their August edition, they're going to dive more into the hellscape of stuff, the the first level of hell or whatever other levels of hell. So it looks like they're they're staying full on into August about the into Avernus. So we're going to see a lot more of that. So any of those that are playing topsers, any of those that are running campaigns that have to do with the angels fighting the devils and the demons or the demons and the devils fighting their blood war or whatever, that's part of your campaign. There's a lot of really cool information coming out in the next few months. And we know that a little bit of it ties into Baldur's Gate 3, which we talked a tiny bit about in the other game. And I went back and rewatched that trailer, like, I don't know, like a hundred times, some of it in slow motion, to see all the little different things they had. Because it was a pretty intense, maybe should have been rated for teen almost trailer for Baldur's Gate 3 where they had that guy kind of stumble into the alleyway and then he starts turning into a mind flare just like right there it's pretty gory and pretty gruesome but it was also super cool too to see did you see that there was a Nautilus ship up in the in the clouds and you saw like all the other um rising up off the ground mind flares and they were this so it's just really cool it's got me excited to throw a mind flare into one of my campaigns which yeah i'm sure is gonna happen so. yeah i threw uh uh i've i've had mind flares in, in a couple games but i threw a bunch of the intellect devourers and if they get you to like zero hit points they like teleport in and replace your brain and uh i didn't want to be that cruel to one of my players at the time i was kind of a new dm and i was just like uh yeah you're like you're knocked unconscious uh yep because i was like reading through it as this happened and i'm like why did i choose this monster like i just destroyed this guy like he has to roll a new character now but i didn't want him to roll a new character just yet so i was Mm -hmm. i was being nice but yeah it's uh (laughs) they're they're intense monsters and mind flares are no exception yeah well, they did a good talk about um, why we love Mind Flayers. It was one of the D&D Beyond videos that got released this week. And it was really thought-provoking to think and sit. And they, the one thing that kept standing out to me that I thought was such a good scene was the idea that the minute you see a Mind flare walking in the streets of whatever town you're in, it's already too late. <laughs> you needed to have discovered them long before this because the minute they put themselves out in the open. And the minute they are no longer afraid to show who they are or what they are, it's over. They've already won and they're already moving on to the next conquest. So I just, I love that idea. And I was just, I want to somehow fit that into one of my games where that scene happens and just watch the ramifications of the players realize, oh, whoa, what just happened here? We're in a lot of trouble. Yeah. So I think that'd be really cool. So I'm hoping for that. One other thing I'm going to jump a little bit to, um, 
I did notice that um, on the DMs Guild, there's a um, an adventure out there getting a lot of kind of recognition. A lot of people are saying it's really good. It's about a 240-page campaign. I think it takes you from one to three. So it's a big adventure called Call from the Deep. It has good artwork in it. It looks like the, um, the production value looks really good on it. So if you might want to check that out on DMs Guild, if you're a person that likes to go out and get stuff on DMs Guild for inspiration or to bring into your own campaign, you might check into that one because this one's been getting a lot of raves at the moment. It looks really good. So other than that, from the news point of view, I thought there was one other thing that we might tackle. And I don't know how much we want to talk about it or how much we have an opinion on it. But I did notice and went around the Twitter, DD Twitterverse for a little bit. Bloomberg wrote an article about the professional DM mm. and being a professional dungeon master and, and all the things that that brings along. The other time I remember seeing something like this, I feel like I was watching a video from Andrew talking about being a paid DM and it feels like there's a big group of people that are ready to backlash against somebody who's going to be calling themselves a professional dungeon master. And you can, you can hire my services for, you know, $300 an hour or whatever the price would be or whatever. And I just think that was interesting. Um, the article itself, because it's such a big, um, headline that grabs you into thinking what's going on i read through the article a little bit and what it was is apparently he's in silicon valley so that number one tells me one thing silicon valley is like those people walk around with gold bars in their pockets they're getting paid <laughs> so much in that area that's a high income area so when i heard the numbers i think we might have to take that with a grain of salt you're not going to get the same thing if you're like in in the oregon dnd community or even the michigan dnd community i don't think we're bringing in the kind of numbers you're talking about for the silicon valley dnd group um but apparently what he does is he will run he has ran um for people who haven't played or haven't played in a very very long time and he introduces them to playing dungeons and dragons and he has them either come over or he will go to their office and apparently just word of mouth, people keep saying, hey, I did this thing with this guy. It was really fun. They, Whatever the price was, they paid it. And then other people hear about it and say, well, you know what? I want to do it. I want to get into this D&D thing. I want to do it. So he's going around and doing it. And it sounds like he puts on a good session. It sounds like he puts on about a four-hour session. It's got a laptop going. He creates um, uh, pre-generated characters to help them get going. And it's really introducing them to the game. And I like that. I love the idea. My favorite part of Dungeons and Dragons at the moment is introducing somebody brand new to the game and hopefully in such a way that I get them so excited like I was when a kid when I was introduced. That's like always my goal. And that's the thing. That's my payoff right now for playing Dungeons and Dragons with a lot of different people. But I also think it would be interesting. We, we all would love to be paid to do what we like to do or have fun doing. And what do you think about the paid DM? Do we ever see Jordan becoming a paid DM? Do you ever think you want to you want to punch in your 40 hours in the week, make sure you run your games as a business? Have you ever thought about that angle? Have you researched it at all? What, what's Jordan's thought on this? Um, I've thought about it a little bit because, I mean, it's something that you love and you kind of were like, could I, could I turn this into a lucrative thing? Um, you know... I, Hmm. It's okay. So I was going to say something, but I'm not going to say that. I'll say this instead. Um, the, if you are willing to pay the money to find a DM, then mm -hmm. good on you. 
And if you find a really good person who is willing to accept your money and DM a good game for you, then good on that guy as well. And the two of you found each other and you're able to make it happen. That's great. Like, that's fine. Um, I think about the games that I'm in and I would not want to pay somebody to DM a game because I would look at that and be like, well, I'll just DM. So Mm -hmm. in a sense, if people think like me, then these paid DMs are great because all they're doing is creating more Dungeon Masters. If somebody's just like, well, I have to pay you to play in a game, I'll just run my own game. Well, that's mm-hmm. awesome. We just created a new Dungeon Master, so that's great. Um, but there... And how many times have my players come over and brought pizza or brought me beer or brought me soda? And you think about it and all of a sudden it's like, well, they just paid me, you know... $10 worth of snacks to run this game for them as like, they should. <laughs> like, I don't know. So I don't, I don't see what the controversy is about. I think there's, there's, mm-hmm. there's this idea that it's like, well, James over there, his DM runs his game for free because he like loves the game. And this guy over here is paying Stuart $10 an hour to run a game for him and and there's a question of like fairness that happens where it's like well that's not fair that James gets a free game and Stuart has to pay for a game but mm-hmm. the way i look at it is like Stuart doesn't have to pay for that game Stuart can run mm-hmm. his own game like be a dungeon master um and i get it that there are lots of dungeon masters out there that are like but i'm a forever dm and i'm tired of dming and i want to play in a game mm-hmm. um and if you literally can't find anybody else like I don't know. I'm just thinking of like streamed games online and like mm-hmm. how many people are looking for players for their, their online game and things like that, that it, some of them being paid. Well, no, I'm not even talking about that. Just like the ability to find a game to play in um, is mm-hmm. a lot easier now than it was earlier. So, but then you think now I'm going on tangents, but then you think like, like uh, what if, what if uh, Chris Perkins, you know, like I would pay money to be in a Chris Perkins game. Like if he was doing some kind of game where, well, he already did. Didn't they raise like a million dollars or something or $500,000 for him to run a game for charity? Yeah. Something crazy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So people are obviously willing to pay to be, and, and that's like a celebrity yeah. aspect. So I get it. I, it's not really part of the whole paid DM mechanic, but, but I don't know. Yeah. How much it are you all... going to pay for a Matt Mercer session? Yeah, exactly. It all or, comes uh, down to Jordan oh. does not... Jordan would not pay to do that because he would much rather run his own game. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I am also in a position where I want to uh, seek out things because then all of a sudden my my fun hobby turns into a job that I don't mm-hmm. necessarily want to do. Mm-hmm. And if I am committed to doing XYZ, now that is not to say like Jordan would not do a charity game or something. Mm-hmm. And it's like, hey guys, I'm doing Extra Life I want you to come be in my game. The catch is you have to pay me $20. It goes to charity or something like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know. So short answer, I'm not against it. Like, I don't yeah. know. Like, I don't understand why pe- some people are so, and I think those people, actually, I do understand. I think those people are against it because they're like, again, going back to why is James getting a game for free when Stuart has to pay for it? But right. my counter argument is that Stuart doesn't have to pay for it. He could run his own game. Like right. there are always well, players. The- there's the people who are going to label themselves as like the purists or the, the hardcore gamer or the, the longtime fan who says, wait a minute, D and D is meant to be, 
you go and you buy the book and you sit around at the table and you play. You don't pay people for that. You do that. That's how D&D has to be played and, you know, that kind of thing. There's always that group that wants to tell other people how they're supposed to play D&D. And that's definitely the group I'm sure that jumped on that article and started writing about a professional DM. How can you possibly even think to do that? But I was thinking, too, just from an economic standpoint, if me and you decided, hey, uh, Spider-Man Far From Home is out right now. Me and you, we're going to go out and we're going to see it right after the show. So we're going to buy, you know, a couple of $12 tickets. We're going to get some popcorn. Maybe we're hungry because it's lunchtime. We'll get a hot dog or something in there. We'll get some drinks. We'll, we'll do whatever. By the end of it, me and you, for an experience that's probably about two and a half hours long, have just paid $30, mm-hmm. $40 combined, maybe 60 or $70. How would that really be any different for having a four-hour session of entertainment and you're involved in the entertainment? So when I look at it from that standpoint, I could see where a professional dungeon master is providing entertainment as a show, but it's an interactive show. It's like an improv show or it's like a comedy show or it's like what are any of these things. And they're providing a set amount of time of entertainment and these people are willing to pay for entertainment. So I, I think that's totally great. I think I can't imagine why you wouldn't want to do that. I think it'd be awesome. Well, even I taking do- it to the next level, like if I'm yeah. doing a live D&D show, i.e. like Acquisitions Incorporated or something, and people are paying money to watch that, like why not just take away the audience and be like, now my players are paying me money to do the same thing. Like they're yeah. having fun. Yeah. The- yeah, like I don't know. Yeah. Um, and, and so like, but I think there are some pitfalls and I, and I think it's not all probably roses and, and whatever else the second thing would be, um, there, because I, I could see somebody who, number one, like you said, you take something you love to do. And once it becomes a job, it may no longer be something you love to do when you have the pressure that you have to do it over and over and over. And to me, if somebody's going to pay me money, for one of my campaigns right now, I would not want anybody paying me for the campaign I run right now because I probably don't put enough time into it. Like I don't put enough effort. If you're going to all of a sudden, if the group comes together and says, okay, every session we're going to give Lucian, I don't know, $200 or something so that he can do this professionally. I would want to up my game. Like I would want to up the quality of the product that I'm producing. Definitely. And then I start thinking about, well, if I'm putting that much work into it, and I'm using the word work, I'm not putting that much fun into it. I'm putting that much work into it. Does it finally kill this love of mine for Dungeons and Dragons? So I'd want to be careful there. I could also see a bat or somebody who's focused on money more than they are focused on getting people into the system, making sure they have a good time. Because we all know of businesses and corporations that only look at the bottom line and do some really kind of sketchy stuff to make sure they're making the most money that they possibly can. And the quality of what they're doing is very low and horrible. So somebody could have a very bad experience if somebody was just only doing it for the money. So I always wonder a little bit about that. So I think there's a couple of downsides, but what I love about the idea of introducing more people, like we were talking about the statistics of um, people watching stranger things. There was like 40 Point one million people have already started season three of Stranger things. And in it, they talk about dungeons and dragons which means there's a potential within that 40 million people to say, you know what? I keep hearing about this Dungeons and Dragons things. Maybe I'll try it. That 40 million is way bigger than the current Dungeons and Dragons community. We're not at like 40 million strong. I don't think I'd love to see what the numbers are, but I can't imagine where that 
that much out there right now. And we're still getting more people and newer people and people are still buying box sets. The new essentials is out where I saw chat talking about and people are enjoying that and getting into it. So there's a whole new influx. And this idea of, could I make this my career? Like if you did the logistics, how many games would you even have to run right now, Jordan, to cover the same exact salary you make at your job now so that you could pay all your bills, you could support your loving wife in the way she should be supported or maybe better than you are supporting her. I don't know. I'll have to ask her how, how well you're doing. <laughs> Get back in your crate. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Like how many games and at what price would you have to run to cover your salary now. So if you, you know, you're, that's, so, a, and that's I don't know, but you know, talking about this, I have a lot of people that are just like, when are you going to become a full-time YouTuber? And it's kind of the same thing where yeah. I, that is a hobby and that, and just like this show, it is a fun hobby. I like doing it, but all of a sudden, if it was just like, no, Jordan, you have to do the Saturday morning D and D show five days a week to cover all of the sponsors, to cover all of this, to do this. And all of a sudden it just becomes a burden to try and find things to talk about five times a week and things that I don't want to talk about. And we were just talking about it earlier. Like if Jordan does a miniature painting video and Mm -hmm. it blows up and 40 million people are watching this miniature painting video, then I kind of am obligated to make more miniature painting videos, even though I don't really want to make miniature painting videos. Yeah. Like, so I don't know. Yeah, why can't Jordan's wife support him? That's true. She is a very yeah. supportive wife. Uh, Yell so that right that out the door wonderful. right now. Why don't you? <laughs> so that is that is one hundred percent true. So, so I thought it was an interesting article. I think there's many angles to it. I've seen lots of people that um, are supportive. I've seen lots of people that are really against it. Like there's some real internet groupings that are like they think that's like the the bane of role playing if you're paying your DM to do something. But it, and like you said, it kind of falls back into if people are willing to watch you stream it, people are willing to watch other people play it. There's probably a market for people that are willing to say, hey, I need a good DM. Like all the other DMs in my group have been so bad that if I could just pay you $20 or $30 or $50 a week so that I get one who's consistent, that'd be great. One thing that Greg Tito had mentioned, I thought when he had mentioned this in his D&D news that I thought was interesting that said that any player who pays a DM to run a game for them, you can bet they're probably not going to call you up on Wednesday afternoon and say, oh, I know we got a game tonight, but I got something else to do. Yeah. Because they're already paying for the experience. I bet the attendance to those games is better because all of a sudden there's there's money, there's there's something attached to it that they that kind of makes them really want to continue with it and not just say, oh, well, we could go out and do something else this afternoon. It's like, nope, I paid for this experience. Wednesday night is my experience. We're doing this every Wednesday night until, you know, for the campaign's over, however far it's going to go. So. And I was just thinking out loud or thinking in my head, uh, take D&D out of the equation. Take Dungeon Mastering out of the yeah. equation. What if we were playing Ticket to Ride? And you're just like, I really want to play Ticket to Ride, the board game. You know what? I'm going to hire four people to play games with me. Maybe that's mm-hmm. why people are against it. Cause it's like, you're buying friends. Sure. You know, like if you think about it like that, like that's kind of, that feels weird to me to hire mm-hmm. four people to come play ticket to ride with me because I really want to play ticket to ride. And so mm-hmm. when people are looking at dungeons and dragons as a board game, instead of like, I want to get all of my friends together and I need somebody to run this aspect of the game for me, you know, like, I don't know. So it's, yeah. 
it's uh I'm not against it and in fact like I'm I'm just thinking of like our table I if my my DM paints all of our miniatures and he buys a lot of the miniatures and he he gets us all this stuff if he came up and was just like you know what I put a lot of money into this could you throw me like 10 bones I'd be like you mm-hmm. know sure and that yeah, even yeah. said he bought a bunch of the D&D Beyond books and is sharing and those shared. books so yeah. he was like if you guys want this new book could you pitch in $4 each and then all of a sudden it covers the cost of it? And I'm like, that's yeah. cool. That's something that started cropping up into my mind. The amount of money I've been spending <clears throat> on the D&D stuff so that my players can play. So I've got a subscription to Roll20. I've got the subscription to Zoom so we can do Zoom videos. I've got all the books. I've got, um, you know, starting to do a little bit of the D&D Beyond stuff and providing that to the players in my mind, I'm starting to think, yeah, I'm going to start telling my players, hey, guys, how about you guys pitch in a little bit? Because it feels like I'm doing all the buying here. <laughs> and you guys are benefiting from all of it, which is cool and fun. But I think in a roundabout way, what I'm saying is all you players out there, help your DMs out. <laughs> they love to do it. They're still going to do it, even if you don't. And they mostly probably won't even ask you ever. You should just volunteer every now and then. You should just get help them out somehow, some way, just to keep them going keep them sane so i thought it was interesting and the other reason i looked into it was when i was doing roll 20 games they have a forum that is set up for dms who want to offer their services for strangers a lot of i think your perspective is about your friends or the people you know coming to play a game at your table Mm -hmm. and i think that could be very different too is if all of a sudden if jordan decided well i'm going to run games for strangers people i've never met ever and I'm going to use Roll20 to facilitate that. And I'm going to put up, I have a slot on Monday. I have two slots on Mondays for groups. I have two slots on Tuesday, two slots on Wednesday. You guys want to get into these games as a players that I've never met. Well, here's a dollar amount because I don't just want any Jack and Jill crazy player jumping in. Because there's a lot of weird players out there. I mean, I've, I've played with many players that I probably won't want to play with again. Right? We don't all mesh. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying that their style didn't mesh with my style and it would not be something I want to continue. But if you put a dollar price on it, hopefully you're getting somebody who's, you know, interested in actually playing and not just being a jerk or a jackass. Yeah. It's kind of like adventure league. Like I have no, no desire to really run adventure league because it is for strangers and I like playing at adventure league, but I wouldn't want to run adventure league. But if all of a sudden, if I made $30 to go run adventure league, then I'd be a lot more like, well, I like D and like $30. Yeah. I'd run it for yeah. strangers. So I could buy a book. No, if I, I could buy a book and give you 49 95 that pays for your next book that you buy. I, I totally get it. And you got to think about it more like you're hiring somebody in chat was talking about this, but you're hiring a storyteller or you're hiring a director, you know, like if me and my friends really want to put on a play, but we need a director, I'm going to like hire, like, Hey, I'm going to hire you. You have to use these actors. And he's like, okay, if I have to use these actors and then he puts on a show for us so that we can be in a play. Like, like, I don't, you know, it, it it makes a lot more sense. You're hiring, you're asking for a service to be done. And so my analogy of ticket to ride doesn't really work because with D&D, you're not buying friends. You're, you know, you're buying a service, which is running a game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if Ticket to Ride had a system where there was a guy that was running, facilitating the game for other people, that would be different. So I wasn't mm-hmm. trying to instigate that people are like buying friends with D&D. Right, right, right. But I think hey, that's why somebody's, I, I think that's why people are against it. Because they yeah. look at it as a board game and like you are, you know, so. But yeah. Yeah, yeah I don't know. 
this is a whole tangent we could go on forever i feel but yeah so i thought it was a good a good discussion it was an interesting um thought on it and i think some people could try it out at some point and you know if you make it work if you're a dungeon master that all of a sudden is able to pay your bills and it's working out i think that's great and i think the thing is you're not just paying for the session the four-hour session you're paying for the prep for the campaign the organizing of it so you're getting extra other time that you're paying for too it's actually a really good deal i wonder if you like said okay it's going to be 20 dollars. that's better than going to the movies where you only get two and a half hours of entertainment this you're getting four hours of, of weekly entertainment. That could be pretty good. We're we're paying 19 bucks for what Hulu's and and Netflixes and all this other stuff. That could just be your normal Netflix night. That could be your hey, this is when we sit down and pick some show on mm-hmm. Hulu to watch. Subscription nine ninety nine a month, same thing kind of thing. So, I think it's interesting. I hope that people have good experiences. With it. I'm sure there are people that will have bad experiences and they could tell us their stories. And I hope nobody has a bad experience. But I, I do but wish that's just people that's too. Like, like yeah. you were just talking about people not meshing well. Like, you might have a paid DM where you're just like, I do not click with this guy at all or this girl, and so mm-hmm. I don't want to. I don't want to do it. You know, right. like I don't want to be in this game anymore. I'm not willing to pay for that anymore. Then you right. are not willing. You move on. But if you had like a list of ten GMs and you're like, you you paid for this one, and you didn't really like that game, you paid for that, but then you finally find the Matt Mercer of the list. And you're like, all right, I finally found the one I want. I want to be in this person's game. I'm going to pay to be in that game. I could see it. I could see people doing it. Yeah. So, very interesting. No, lots of good stuff in the Twitch chat, too. You guys are are yeah. chiming in with some really good things and thoughts and stuff. So thank you. I think that was about it for, for news. I think that was um, that all we saw. It's still getting ready for Descent for Avernus. We're, um, we're seeing a lot of the box sets are out, the D&D Essentials. The comics are coming out in November. All the Jim Jim Zub stuff, the books they're writing, the comics they're writing, and all that stuff. The the box set for Morty and, and um, Dungeons oh, Dragons versus Rick and Morty. Yeah, Rick and Morty. Um, that's all in November, so we have a few months off before we see any of that stuff. I think it's just the build up. The other thing I think the reason why um, RPG news has been quiet also is we're 17 days away from Gen Con, and I think a lot of people are getting ready for their appearances in Gen Con or the games are going to be running in Gen Con or getting their travel arrangements done and getting all their schedules fixed, deciding what they're going to do. So I think a lot of people are focused on those things and they might not release news. If, even if they had it, they might wait until Gen Con hits to do some news release stuff to help generate some buzz. So we might see some lull for the next 17 days or so and see, you know, what, what kind of hype builds up. My excitement is growing exponentially day after day after day. Like I'm, I'm watching day 17 tomorrow, day 16, I'm going to be more excited day 15. I'm going to be more excited. It's just going to build until my head explodes, I think. And so it's going to be pretty good. Um, but other than that, I think that was it for news. Yep. How much uh, D and D did Jordan play? I think I went first last week, so I think it'd be okay for Jordan to go first this week. Um, what did Jordan do in role playing tabletop RPG gaming? Hopefully, Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. Uh, so I actually tried to get a DCC game going, but uh, the cards it just didn't fit. Um, so I will probably run that one shot later on, and then be able to talk about Dungeon Crawl Classics. But uh, no, I played Ghosts of Saltmarsh uh, this week. Um, and something in this game, because they kind of, uh, the players start in 
salt marsh and then they get an adventure they go outside of salt marsh and then they come back they report on the adventure and then they're back in salt marsh waiting for the next adventure and you could just do those sequentially like day after day after day but i i wanted to incorporate the downtime rules and downtime activities so i was kind of asking them like well if you guys had a week off what would you do in salt marsh like how do you want to spend your time in salt marsh and so one guy was like well he's a He's got a brewer's kit because he's a beer brewing dwarf. And so he's like, I want kind of want to start a business where I make beer and then do it out. And I'm like, okay, you're going to have to hire somebody and you're going to have to do this. But there are rules in the Dungeon Master's Guide and rules in Xanathar's Guide to Everything that kind of cover a bunch of like starting a business and stuff. So we we were exploring that, which was really interesting. Um, another Another player tried pit fighting to earn some extra cash. So during his week, he did some pit fighting and uh earned like 20 gold or something and the bard decided to do like performances and so he did a bunch of performances to try to like earn gold and he ended up rolling a natural one so he did not make any money that week he was a very boot off the stage yeah very terrible bard apparently (laughs) but um but yeah i don't know and i was wondering if you've ever used like downtime because seeking revenar seems kind of similar where they go back to town but do they go back to town to just refuel and then leave again? Or do you incorporate downtime activities? Do they do they spend gold? See, I'm having my players spend their lifestyle payments. So if you're if you're taking 10 days off and you are a gold a day of lifestyle, uh, you need to pay 10 gold in order to just stay in Salt Marsh for 10 days. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's a money sink that I'm enjoying as well. Like, I think it'll be really good for them to be like, okay, I want to craft all these potions. I'm right. All right. That costs money to craft the potions. And it also costs you your lifestyle expense um, so yeah. that it's kind of a, a double-edged sword. And I, I don't know. I like that because there's not many money sinks in the game and there needs mm-hmm. to be something that they have to spend their money on rather than just buying potion and magic item and magic item. So yeah, the, the Revenor game, the player's, um, because they know it's a Port Bastion is a town that's newly been created in a land that's completely untamed and enormous. So it's basically like a frontier town. So the players have been very um, vocal and very um, taking the initiative and trying to find ways to, to make the town better. So several of them might have put some of the money they got into creating shrines for their gods or helping build temples or helping... Um, build the keep or one wanted to make the docks bigger so that we could import better because right now the docks that they have created in port bastion are small enough that they can bring in cargo but they have not been able to bring in livestock they need to make the um the facilities bigger for them to try to transport over off you know from the sword coast workhorses and cattle and all this kind of stuff. And until the docks have been upgraded, they can't do it. So some of them are sending money into that. Some of them want to, there's a dwarven silver mine that is near Port Bastion, which is really why Port Bastion is, is working. It's because the dwarves found a silver vein and they're, they're shipping a lot of silver back and forth over to the sword coast. And that's the big money thing. And there's players that want to get into involved into how could we get a piece of that action in some way on our off time and things like that. So we have a little bit of it going. I should have done the living wage thing that you're doing, the lifestyle thing. Mm-hmm. That I totally forgot to do when I started mine. So no, we haven't been doing it, and I should have. Their money sinks right now are repairing their weapons and armor when they come back from oh, adventuring right. because of them rolling ones and 20s and things like that. 
The other thing is um, they're supposed to be buying their rations. We always say they have enough rations to go out and come back. But when they come back, depending on how many days they left and came back, they have to refill their rations up with that many days to say before they can go on their next adventure. So they're buying their rations to do that. <clears throat> but I don't have them. Let's say they spend 10 days in, in town because they're in between adventures. We haven't dived into what else that they can do yet. Or even if they took like a month off, because sometimes when you're talking about downtime activities, you're talking about a large amount of time being taken off, not just a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started a forum in our seeking revenue area that was, I wanted the players to help me build rules that we could use for downtime activities. And it hasn't really gone too far because they kind of stalled out on what they were actually going to do or want to do. But with strongholds and followers, we're definitely doing a lot of that stuff. So building the keep or building the tower or building the druids grove is getting done right now. A lot of that stuff is going to be a money sink for them. So I think that's going to be there. crafting. I've had one or two people talk to me. One of our players was an armorer and was trying to figure out what could they do with their armoring skill, but not enough of them have been that I dove too far into it to mm-hmm. figure out like, what are all my crafting rules? I probably would just lean on what's in Xanther's guide or the DM's guide, uh, DM's guide at this point without making anything new up. If somebody really was, Hey, I'm this crafter and I want to craft a new sword at some point with these new materials. Cause I think that's a cool idea. I like the idea of them going out on an adventure and they get something neat that could be incorporated into a weapon. Maybe they, yeah. they kill a cool creature that has really, toughened bone sharp claws and they want to somehow incorporate that into daggers that they're going to build or and it somehow imbues them with just you know a little bit i think that stuff's cool and should be in dnd i just have never really created a system to do it it is in uh, xanathar's we did a i i i found a powerful hard shell or a, a scale and i took that scale and turned it into my shield and using the wizard, he was able to cast spells on it and things like that. So we ended up making this magical shield that I have. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, I like that too. And and so if you want to, like, part of the downtime activity could be research for, hey, yeah. I want to build this sword. Um, what kind of, like, animal tooth do I need to get this really sharp sword? It's like, well, you need a basilisk fang. Okay, well, I got to we, – where's the basilisk? Well, they're mm-hmm. commonly over here. There's one rumor to be underground over here, and so you go searching for giant snakes and stuff. Yeah. Um, and that's just fun. Like, it's kind of a – it feels like an MMO almost. Um, and it's probably because I played a lot of MMOs where they are just like, you want this piece of equipment – and you have to gather all of these ingredients, but that's fun, you know, and mm-hmm. that can be an adventure all on its own. And that could tie into your main adventure too. Like what's causing the basilisk to rise up out of the ground and, and, and actually attack villagers and things like that. And then, it, Oh, bonus, I get its teeth and I can use its teeth to make a cool sword or something. So I don't know. Yeah. Well, yeah, we've just been exploring downtime activities. I think I'm in, I'm I'm I want to do more with this. I know that the artificer in my salt marsh campaign really wants to craft potions and probably other things later on. Um, and so, if they want to craft other things later on, then I'll probably be like, okay, I need to know in advance what you want to craft, and then maybe I can make some adventures that kind of relate to how to get ingredients for that craft. But um, yeah, yeah we were just going through see. the book and being like, ah, I want to try pit fighting, sure. And we like tried it out, and it was really fun. And and he made yeah. some gold and had a good time. And it, so it's like, yeah, it's just kind of a way for everybody at the table can have their activity for the week, and I like that. Mm-hmm. I, I always wonder too. My worry with most of those is 
once it starts to get out of hand, especially when you just mentioned, because I had the same thing. I had a player says, well, I can make potions. Sure you can, because what they're going to do is they're going to devote two weeks to making 100 health potions, and all of a sudden we start to get a little crazy again. And then, so I'm always really careful because a player takes everything to the extreme. Like the minute you set something up, they're going to, they're not going to use it just a little bit. They're going to use it to the hilt. And just like they min max their characters for the most part, they're going to min max whatever system you come up with. So I've been kind of trying to be careful because I thought it'd be cool if they could build a magic item, but if they could build a magic item and all of a sudden they turn it into a factory of magic items, the campaign dies at that point. If everybody's running around with tons of magic items, it does, it doesn't, 5e doesn't stand up to all your players having three or four, magic items per person yeah it falls apart because of how powerful they already are adding on top of this really cool stuff that you're giving them so i always feel like you gotta be a little careful but there's probably a, a game that should have that stuff in it with a game where magic items should be really cool and plentiful but maybe that means the characters need to be not so powerful you know, maybe we need to be a little bit weaker and then having a bunch of magic items makes sense because now you're at the level you need to be to do cool stuff um roll 3d6 down the line or something and then augment by giving them lots of magic items i don't know yeah something be something interesting okay so that's cool so cool downtime activity sounds fun anything else going on uh no uh well i mean do you do you have stuff to talk about or do you want me to just keep going because you've got seven minutes hey i'm i'm ready whenever you are (laughs) yeah well the only other thing we did is we had a fun bullywug fight and bullywugs are just fun little frog creatures. I've always yeah. liked them as monsters. And the, the fight was really interesting because you start with like six weaker monsters and then two tougher monsters and then one toughest monster. And it was in these waves that it occurred. And uh, it was just a, a fun fight for my players and fun for the dungeon master too. Like I like that idea of doing like, because you think of action economy, six weaker monsters have higher action economy, but that one stronger monster can do more damage and, and hit harder. Um, mm-hmm. So it was it was kind of fun to be like, you guys are getting assaulted by a whole bunch, and then like the elite champion steps up, and then the real big guy steps up at the very end. And uh, I had a lot of fun. It was just a fun little fight. And they're, they're just exploring uh, the next the next bit of salt marsh, which I don't really want to talk about because I'll spoil people who are playing salt marsh, <laughs> but they're, uh, they're going to be exploring um, caves and stuff on their, on their second mission, uh, looking into uh, some lizard folk problems that they're discovering. So, uh, but yeah, that's about it. And I, and uh, everybody's on vacation. So I didn't get to play in my other game with my Warforged Eldritch Knight um, and won't play tomorrow either because people are still on vacation because it's summer. And that's what mm-hmm. happens. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that was the story of my week. Um, all my games got rescheduled. We had enough people out of each one of them that it just ended up saying, "Hey, we'll just all play this coming up week." Mm-hmm. So, hopefully, this week I'm back on track with my Monday night Revenar game and my Wednesday night um, Tomb of Annihilation game. Um, so everything got rescheduled. But the one thing that I thought would be interesting as a discussion, or at least just my thoughts and your thoughts on, when you do have a week off that wasn't planned. Um, a lot of times we can squander that and I kind of wrote it in here. Like you could go do those crazy things that people say you should do, like visit your family or hang out with your loved ones or mm-hmm. do really cool stuff with your wife. You could do that stuff, but I think Lucian's DM tips would be, no, no, don't do any of that stuff. You got this week off. This is a perfect time for campaign prep or getting some cool ideas 
um, that you might not have had time to do before because you were so into all your sessions that you're running and getting ready for them, that this is a good time to go out and just kind of revamp some of the stuff you're doing. Like this past week, I was really able to dive into strongholds and followers. Like the weeks leading up to it, I was reading piecemeal stuff or maybe just the part I thought I might need for when the session had come up. Mm -hmm. But since I had a week off, this let me really dive back into that book and it let me dive into my Tomb of Beast book again to go through that and see if there's any creatures I really think I want to highlight in the, in the campaign that's coming up. And then I started thinking about like this mind flare plot and where I might put it because in my Revenor world, it's a world of lots of things are happening and I don't know what the players are going to do or when they, they may never go that way or they may never stumble upon that. But I want to put all these little hot spots that are out there so that if they do stumble into it, here we go. We're off on that, that cool tangent. And so now I'm thinking about, okay, I've got all this cool thing. I've got these six factions that I've created in Revenar that are all doing these things, but I'm like, no, I need mind flayers in there. So I need a seventh faction. Where could this <laughs> faction go? And who are they doing? And what are their motivations? And it, it, it energizes a DM to use those creativity, use all that creative juices you've got going when you're thinking about stuff that's new. Most of the time we get stuck in our, we're only thinking about what we need to think about for our next session. And maybe that's not as fulfilling as when we're thinking about the creating of the new world or creating of a new area, creating of a new storyline that they might pop into. There's a lot of really fun stuff there. And it's another good time to double down back on other forms of media, I think, to go back and say, well, I got some time to read my book that I've been reading that has some good ideas in it. I could play that MMO that I've been wanting to play because that has some really cool ideas in it that I could incorporate into Dungeons & Dragons. I could watch this movie you know, and then, oh, I like this idea of what they did there. Um, and maybe I'll pull something like that into my into my game. So it lets you refresh and it lets you really kind of build on that. So what does Jordan like to do when all of a sudden you get a free week just thrown at you? You didn't even know you were going to get it. Um, you don't have any of your games you're going to play. You don't have any of your scheduled stuff. How do you use it? How do you kind of, you know, recharge uh, your batteries? Yard work. Um, Your hard work. There you go. No, I like this book that I got. You know, I we're not playing on Sunday, um, so I didn't have to prep a whole bunch for Sunday. So I ended up reading this how to write module book, and so like I have a lot. I have a whole shelf full of D and D books, or I'll um, I'll, mm -hmm. I'll work on campaigns or things like that. Um, I'm reading through one of the Drist novels right now, which is really fun, and getting ideas from that and things like that. We were talking about that before the show started. But uh, mm -hmm. yeah, no, I, I do the same thing. I consume media. I read books. I read comic books. I uh, watch movies. Um, I love all kinds of things like that. And so when I have uh, free time, I do I do kind of tend to still dwell on D&D, &D, I guess. Like I don't just like, <laughs> oh, there's no D&D &D this week. I'll, I'll shut my brain off from that. Like I'm usually still thinking about it and prepping things and or, or working on the next great idea. Like I have an idea for a... Um, a uh, uh, campaign setting that I'm like slowly putting together in my free time. Like it's not anything that's a priority. So I'm kind of just mm -hmm. as ideas hit, I'm like, Oh yeah, I should write that down in the document. And then I do. And it's kind of evolving as I go. And eventually I'd like to run a really cool, like year long campaign in it and see how it works out, you know, as a, yeah. as a setting. So. Yeah. That's exactly how Revenar was for me. I was, thinking about that for a year even before we started it mm -hmm. and it started and was it wasn't like thinking about it for a year it was thinking about it for a minute or two here 
write one little thing down mm-hmm. in a document. And then over time, it built into enough of, I thought, you know what, I think I could actually start this. I think I'm there. I think it'd be interesting to see how all these pieces now fit together and move around. And it's been really cool. It's been one of the most fun campaigns I've ran has been been my own. And I love Forgotten Realms. I love, and mine's kind of in Forgotten Realms in a, in a roundabout way, but it's still kind of a homebrew. But it's still fun. And, and the idea of creativity, whether you're building a new character, you're building a new campaign, you're building a new storyline plot or idea, you're whatever it is, just getting that creative juices going just really feels like energizes me, gives mm-hmm. me the energy to tackle all the other stuff that's going on in my life, no matter what it is, job related, family related, house related. I'm out there cleaning my stupid pool on a constant basis, but I'm just like, yeah, I'll think about D and D adventures while I'm doing that. Or I'll, you know, it, it gives me the energy to keep going on that stuff. So I think it's really cool to don't squander that time. If you get a week off, use it to really get that creativity going again and use it to do the stuff that you like to do as a dungeon master, which is create things. We love creating things, create a new monster, create a Mm -hmm. new story, create a new villain. You were talking about, you're excited about reading that chapter on villains. You're probably ready to create a really cool and interesting villain at this point. So yep. Don't let that time go by without using it. So I think that's all I had because I had no games. We rescheduled. I hope to play this coming week and bring you guys all the cool stuff that's going on. Um, so that was about it for me. Okay, cool. Well, I think that's our show. We're coming up at uh, the end of our hour. Um, so thank you guys so much for watching. Um, I will put, uh, links for MJS October and other people in the show notes of the, of the video, um, to the book that I was referencing, how to write modules that don't suck. Um, Mm -hmm. and yeah, uh, that's about it. So thank you guys so much for coming out and listening to us just yap on about, uh, we talked about a lot of stuff today, I feel. So it was awesome. We went all over the place. Yeah, we were. It was a very non, non sequitur kind of, yeah. Anyway, uh, but it was a really good show. So uh, thank you again. And we will see you next week with another fabulous episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show. Uh, goodbye, everybody. Our intro and outro music is 8-Bit March by Twin Musicom, licensed under Creative Commons. Check out their website at www.twinmusicom.org.